Welcome. It's Wacky Wednesday here on the Arrowhead Attic channel. I'm Adam Best here with Sterling Holmes and producer Richard, as always. Sterling, my man, how you doing? I'm good. Your stash is still strong and I am still jealous of that. It's it's on its last leg. It's, it's going to go. But uh, I, I just had to do one more show. I just had to do one more show with it. Uh, but how do you feel today? We're getting bombarded by news. Uh, I feel great until I heard the news about Dave Merritt, which we'll get to in just a moment. But it's fun, man. The Combine, you know, starting February 26th, that really is the kickoff of the next season. We have a lot to get into. Who would have thought that on February 28th would be talking this much about off-season stuff? Actual things happening and not just a, a list of what player reminds you of what beer. No, we have actual news to talk about, which makes this very exciting. Yeah, most fan bases get about eight weeks of a breather. We get two weeks here in Kansas City, but no complaints, right? No, none at all. No complaints. And if you guys have no complaints... Go sign up with DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure you get that first bet on them. New customers will get a second chance bet up to $1,000 when signing up with our promo code Arrowhead. That means if your first bet loses, you'll, you'll get your full wager returned as a bonus bet up to $1,000. Signing up with our code Arrowhead not only covers your first bet, but also gets you access to daily rewards and other profit boosts. If you're looking to join DraftKings, go download the app and register with our promo code Arrowhead to make sure your first bet is covered. This is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. Let's welcome on Arrowhead Attic draft expert Price Carter. He's going to come on and and uh, chop up the draft with us. Welcome, Price. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Absolutely. How are things on your end? Well, I'm doing uh, doing pretty well. I can walk now, which is good. I like broke my ankle about two months ago, so being able to walk is nice and a uh, newborn baby girl just turned a month old. So we're doing great. If the Chiefs could just stop, you know, breaking news every like 30 to 45 minutes, I would almost feel like things are getting back to normal. I guess this is what it takes to, you know, continuously win championships. And we've got a great discussion today. But first off, a bit of news on Dave Merritt. I just heard from from Sterling here. Sterling, what's the situation? Yeah, per Mike Garofalo, um, the 49ers are interviewing defensive backs coach Dave Merritt for the defensive coordinator position, according to sources. Merritt, obviously the longtime assistant, uh, confidant of Steve Spagnolo. Chiefs had the fourth-ranked pass defense this season. Um, this would be a massive loss. You, we've seen the Chiefs perpetually get not just identify talent and develop talent there, but get the best out of those guys. I mean, Rashad Fenton was a six-rounder who was a viable cornerback. He goes elsewhere. What happens? Rashad Breland comes here, has his best years in Kansas City. Now, Kendall Fuller's been solid elsewhere, but I still think he had some pretty darn good years here in Kansas City. Hell, even Tyron Matthew, I think his best years came here in Kansas City. We know what... Dave Merritt can do. He's a very underrated cog in the larger system, which again, on the defensive side is headed by Steve Spagnuolo. So if Dave Merritt goes to San Fran and is the DC, first and foremost, congratulations to him. A lot of talent there, but man, that would break my heart. Yeah. And the timing of this isn't ideal because if you lose LeJerry Sneed, you don't want to lose Dave Merritt, the guy that's going to coach up his replacement. You got to have faith in, in Brett Veach uh, drafting, corners and defensive backs uh, also doesn't get talked a lot but there's a guy named uh, mark richard i believe is his name in the in the data uh, department he won the big data bowl uh 
several years ago for identifying uh, isolating, isolating defensive back coverage. So, the, you know, this is a nerd show. I'm going to give Dog, a shout out to the, the nerd. big data bowl is, is that there with the puppy bowl? Like, like on one end is like the nerds with the big data bowl and the other end it's like, dude, I love dogs with the puppy bowl. Like they're just coming together here. Yeah. It nerdum doesn't rank much higher than that. So, but, but, you know, you have all these different guys, Steve Spagnolo also being one of them, but I think Dave Merritt is as essential to defensive back development as anyone in the kingdom. So, um, but you know, he deserves this, that, that should be said that he deserves this opportunity. He's been killing it for a long time. So if um, San Francisco brings him over there, best of luck to him. Yeah, and I think kind of bridging the gap between the uh, the Puppy Bowl and Legeria Sneed here a little bit, Dave Merritt, to your point, Adam, he is kind of one of the Chiefs' money ball effects, right? Like they've found dollars on the ground and picked them up in the defensive back room time and time again. They have effectively not paid anyone in the defensive backfield that they've drafted since Eric Berry. Um, it, it's been a long time, and they're able to take a guy who's just kind of traitsy from Louisiana tech and turn him into, you know, basically what most people think was a all pro level corner. So it, it's, it's a big deal. And one thing I will point out though, when it comes to the San Francisco defensive coordinator job is there's a ton of talent there. You know, he would love to work with Shavarius Ward again, Hafunga is a great safety, but that is kind of a, a dead man walking job right now. The Shanahan system, especially Shanahan's have went through defensive coordinators quite a bit. And, I don't, I, Steve Wilkes is pretty respected around the league. I don't think it'll go unnoticed, kind of like how quickly they threw him underneath the rug. Um, they interviewed Brandon Staley as well. Another aspect to this is they will get a compensatory pick if Dave Merritt is hired. I believe it'd be at the end of the third round. So there is a slight bright spot. But yeah, I mean, Dave Merritt's value has been super important to the Chiefs. And it would be very nice to have him going into what might be a transition year for the secondary. To follow up on that money ball point, they have consistently been bottom two, three, four, five in money spent on the secondary. So he is a big part of that. Let's transition right over to LeJarius Sneed, who we mentioned. He's been franchise tagged officially and has been given permission to seek a trade, I think, is the last report we heard. Is he a chief next season? We'll start with you, Price. Um, at this point, you have to lean towards no. Um, I think obviously the going and being able to seek permission for a trade, that verbiage is a little interesting to me. That sounds a little bit like go see if you think you can find better on the market. Maybe um, I still would be surprised if the Chiefs paid someone at his age. I know that 27 is young and like normal people years, but that's getting up there in NFL years. And I, I think that the Chiefs, they've again, they're, they're going to lean into what they have done well, and that's scouting and drafting the defensive back position. Um, I, I'm interested to see how Chris Jones kind of folds into this. Obviously it's kind of hard to talk about one without the other when it comes to the cost implications of this. Um, personally for me, I think the tag for him to play on the tag makes a lot of sense that Chiefs get another year of elite cornerback play. $19 million is, is a huge increase in salary for a luxurious need a fourth round pick and the chiefs get that, you know, another year of control of a good player. And then they're not locked into him long-term. But I, th I think that they might want to do right by him and give him that opportunity. Well, I don't think Legereus Sneed would play on the franchise tag. Like, I, I know he's he seems very amenable right now. We heard his thoughts and his, his talking points of, hey, you know, whatever happens, basically, he's, he's good to go. Um, man, there's no way a guy who's 27, who's all of a sudden going to be 28 then as a cornerback hitting the free agent market, 
would be amenable to, to playing on that contract, in my opinion. Um, I know $19.8 million is a lot, especially for a dude who was a fourth round draft pick, right? That's a lot of money. But what would you think he would get guaranteed if he hit the free agent market right now? 40 plus million dollars easy. Like easy, guaranteed. We're not talking total contract. That's guaranteed money. If something were to happen to a guy who, by the way, had a banged up knee the entirety of last year, yes, he played through it. And I've said it multiple times now, you shouldn't have alarm bells ringing, but you should have at least a smoke alarm, that little beep, beep, beep in the background. You should take notice of that. That is something to monitor as well. I don't see Legereus wanting to play on the franchise tag. Makes no sense from his side of things. Um, I think a trade makes the most sense, especially if you can get a second rounder back in return. Now, we've kind of gone through the list, Matt Connor and myself yesterday, so if you want to check out the entire list of free agent uh, player or players who were tagged and then traded, you can. There has not been many, but it's starting to happen more and more and more. Um, what including I th- D. Ford. Including D. Ford. What I think would be interesting is, now I get it, it wouldn't be necessarily, correct me if I'm wrong, if Dave Merritt were to leave right now, that third rounder is not in this one, but in next year's draft. Is that how that works? Yes, Correct. So it's so not it, this one. It, it would make it more palatable if it was in this one because you're like, oh, well, it's luxurious need and a third or it's OK. We get a second and a third. Just however you want to break that down. Um, I think the Chiefs will try and keep them. I think you're right there. Price, the verbiage is almost, hey, see what you can get on the open market, then come back to us. We'll let you know if we can match that or not. But I, I do think if Dave Merritt goes and luxurious need goes, you're right. It is going to be a little bit of a. Um, feeling through period, especially early on in the chief secondary. And I think one thing that's important to kind of remember too, is to not be a victim of the most recent thing that we've seen recency bias, right? This time last year, after the Eagles Super Bowl, if you said, Hey, the chiefs, they might trade Legereus Sneed, you'd probably be upset to lose a good player, but it wouldn't be this panic level that it is now. This year has been his best year and he definitely deserves to be paid upon this last year. It's the full body of work, but why was this his standout year? It's his fourth year in the system. He did play outside more than he has, you know, McDuffie in the slot. But at some point, you got to kind of say, you know, the contract year is undefeated. Um, this might be the outlier more than it is the the true luxurious need. Yeah. Do you, do you pay for the best year, like in baseball, or do you pay for the future? That's what it comes down to. Again, I always say cornerbacks are like relievers in baseball. A lot of variance. I don't know if I'm the the guy that wants to make that bet. It's the most roller coaster position of them all. And Price, you mentioned age here. There's a thing we called the uh, the DiCaprio rule on this show, which you know Leonardo DiCaprio famously doesn't date anyone over the age of 26, unless you're Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, or Travis Kelsey. I don't think Brett Veach is very interested in you if you are 27 or older. So that's something to remember with with Legarius Steed. He's at a a uh, up and down position, getting older, the knee, you add up all these other things along with how good the Chiefs are at finding corners. I have a lot more confidence that they're going to find another good corner as compared to, can they replace 70% of Chris Jones? I don't have a lot of faith there. I haven't seen them draft and develop another defensive tackle other than Chris Jones, who wasn't even drafted by this, uh, by this GM. So, um, well, let's move on to if he does get moved, who are some corners in this draft the Chiefs could target? And I'll, I'll, go ahead, Sterling. V- very quickly, just final thoughts. I think angry, drunken German brings up a very good point here. Um, with the cap bump and the salary cap rising by 30 plus million, you know, everyone's like, this is great for Kansas City. Now they can afford some of their guys. I almost think you can almost use this as a negative because now other teams 
They have so much money to throw around. You saw what happened with Miami outbidding Kansas City for Tyreek Hill. You're telling me there's a team out there that's not going to say, all right, we can offer $3 million more for Legereus Need than Kansas City, easily more $3 million more than KC can AAV because we have nothing. We have all this money sitting around. We have a quarterback on a rookie deal. If you're Washington, if you're Chicago, why wouldn't you do that? Even if you're New England, you have nothing going on down there. Houston, for example, has so much cap room. That makes me nervous with Chris Jones. If Houston just says, we think we're here. We have CJ Stroud on a rookie contract. Tank Dell, Nico Collins, Will Anderson, all on rookie deals. They have a lot of money to work with. They can overpay for one of these elite guys. That makes me a little nervous. So I'm with you, angry, drunken German there. And I also wonder if they might find a way to poison pill this where doing a structure that Kansas City won't match because there are things structurally with their contracts that the Chiefs won't do. They don't like doing super long contracts. They don't like doing void years and whatnot. So that could get interesting. Uh, so if Sneed does get moved, what's the compensation and who are some corners in this year's draft that the Chiefs could target to replace him. Yeah, yesterday I tweeted out that I, I think that some Chiefs fans might be in for a rude awakening as far as the compensation goes. You have to remember, Chris or Legereus Need means more to the Chiefs right now than it does almost any other team, particularly because he's under control. Any team acquiring Legereus Need is going to have to give up a pick and then a contract. That's kind of a double whammy for a lot of teams. Um, you know, someone had mentioned that the Marcus Peters compensation, which was Marcus Peters in a sixth for a second that year and a fourth the following year to the L.A. Rams. That might be a good comparison. Um, obviously, I think Legereus Sneed is a better locker room guy than um, Marcus Peters was at the time. Marcus Peters had elite ball production as far as what he did defending passes and intercepting the ball. But he didn't defend the run well, and he wasn't that true cover lockdown guy that Sneed has been. Um, so I think you start you know, kind of in that area, um, you know, a day three pick and maybe a day two pick is kind of what you're going for. Um, and then the quantity, you know, are we talking like, you know, two third round picks, a second round pick? Um, if you if you were to ever get a first, you would you'd absolutely love it and, and run to the counter for that, for sure. I, I don't think that that's realistic. Keeping in mind, again, the team acquiring him is acquiring a 27 year old defensive back who missed all the preseason with an injury who, um, you know, while he does intercept the ball, he's had 10 interceptions in his career. He's not some elite takeaway guy, never made an all pro team. Again, Legereus need means more to the Chiefs than any other team right now. So I, I do feel really good about them. Definitely at least pulling in a day two pick, though. And, you know, one of the most influential drafts that the Chiefs have had was when they had two day two selections or two second round picks. You know, that Creed Humphrey and Nick Bolton year. Um, that is that. And this draft is very deep. There's a lot of talent in this draft. There's going to be a lot of great players taken in that realm. So I, I totally support that. As far as the draft goes, um, the corner class is very diverse. I, it doesn't have this top, you know, uh, Sauce Gardner type of guy, can't miss prospect. Uh, you know, Terry on Arnold will probably out of Alabama will probably be one of the first guys taken. He's just a solid, you know, well-rounded corner. Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, um, he is rapidly climbing up board, boards. Had a really good Senior Bowl. Um, he's going to test great this week. Uh, he's got great ball production. I think he has a chance to be the first corner taken. But after that, it really kind of starts going into what you're looking for. There's some really great slot guys. There's some great outside guys, uh, some press man guys, some zone guys. Um, a couple of guys that I think look very spagsy. TJ Tampa out of Iowa State. I think he'll probably go in the second round. Um, he has the ideal length that Spags likes. Um, he he, he kind of struggles with the things that most Spags corners struggle with. Getting his head around whenever the ball is thrown his way. Uh, long speed. But he plays physical. He supports the run. He presses off the line of scrimmage well. 
Um, Missouri fans will be familiar with Enos Rakestraw. He's another guy that kind of kind of seems a little spagsy. Um, another name that I like is Josh Newton out of TCU. Uh, he's another guy that he he plays the game the way Spags likes it. He does support the run. Um, he has an act for splash plays. Um, he's been effective against some top-level competition uh, in some of the bigger games that they've played. And then Andrew Phillips out of Kentucky. Um, I think Newton and Phillips are probably maybe day three names or late day two names. Uh, TJ Tampa and Rake Straw, especially Rake Straw, could go in the first. Um, Tampa, I suspect, the second round. But... Again, you know, going back to the Dave Merritt conversation, the Chiefs have had this knack for being able to find players way later in the draft than most teams. And honestly, I, you know, I they might not invest until day three. I think that the team was very high on um, the play of Nick Jones. Uh, I've had a scout that has talked to me, a former scout with the commanders has talked to me and said that they really like the Nick Jones fit for the Chiefs. And then Nazi Johnson was playing really well before he tore his ACL. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out, but there's definitely talent there. And the thing that I like about it this year is that there's all sorts of talent. It's not just big outside guys or press man guys or zone guys. It's really hard to put my finger on the value of Legere Sneed because I do agree that Spags is a unique system and he does have more value in Kansas city than elsewhere. At the same time, it is very hard to find a guy that can play press coverage with AJ Brown, with DK Metcalf, who is also quick enough to travel with the likes of Stefan Diggs and Justin Jefferson. I mean, those guys just aren't, aren't, you don't find them. So uh, I'm also wondering another trade that we did that we should bring up is that Orlando Brown trade. Could we trade maybe a second to move up a little bit? Um, uh, you know, a pick swap. Is that a possibility? Yeah, that's, that's something I looked at. Like for instance, the, uh, the lions have two third round picks. Uh, they'd be a team that would make a lot of sense. They're obviously a team that's kind of like mashing the throttle right now, trying to go all in. They need defensive back help. They have two third round picks, one from the TJ Hawkinson trade. So you could, in theory, like trade pick 95 and get the Minnesota pick in there as well, uh, the higher of their two third round picks. So yeah, that, that's definitely an option that they could uh, flip that. I, I think, you know, you want to try to get as many picks inside that top 100 as possible. I think that, that, that you know, there's several really good talented players that are going to be taken in that realm even even in the you know date you know the 75 to 100 um that's you know where the chiefs found leo chanel and brian cook so they found great value there in the past and jim Nagy, the director of the senior bowl uh has stated that this draft is pretty weak on day three and i think the uh nil has something to do with that we this is the least amount of underclassmen declaring since 2011. so we're just not going to have the depth in this draft. So I think the more chiefs picks we can get in the top 100, like you said, and, and maybe even trading up uh, would be a good option like they did with McDuffie because sitting at 32, looking at the tackles and, and receivers, it's kind of like, ah, uh, are you going to get a sure thing? But if you could get up, if you had extra draft capital, extra ammo to get up into say the early twenties, again, you'd feel a lot better about getting something closer to a sure thing. I, I think it's tough because you have five draft picks right now. You're going to get a couple of compensatory picks. Obviously, Dave Merritt might add another one, but you don't have a full uh, full arsenal to deal with right now. You want darts, especially with the ability that Chiefs have shown, Brett Veach has shown, to hit on darts later on in the draft as well. They have a lot more holes than I think people want to realize. Um, 
obviously wide receiver is the first one. Secondary comes to mind with that luxurious. But defensive line, I've said it once, I'll say it again. The only guy currently under contract is Neil Farrell outside of a future deal for Christensen and Isaiah Bugs. Like, even if Chris Jones is back, you need to get a game changer or at least a guy who can help Chris Jones on the interior defensive line. I mean, there are multiple positions, not just one. Um, I think trading up is going to be hard. Plus, it takes two to tango. Let's be real now. Uh, if they couldn't trade back when Will Levis was on the board, they ain't trading back and getting up another second rounder. Even if Michael Penix Jr. is still there, I'm sorry. Um the Chiefs are kind of in no man's land. At who 30. wants to help them? I mean, you have some forward-thinking teams like the Ravens who will trade with them and do think, I don't care who I'm trading with as long as I make my program better. But I think something like 20 teams are just going to be like, hell no, I'm not helping the Chiefs. Yeah. I'd rather deal uh, with somebody else. Super chat from Raymond Chandler. Uh, appreciate you, Raymond. Always appreciate you. Says, will Snead be as good on other teams' defensive schemes coordinators uh, as he was under Spags? And yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about. Most likely not. But again, Chevarius Ward, we thought maybe no. And what did Chevarius Ward do? Well, he went to the right organization, San Fran, and they used him the correct way. He was a second team All Pro this season. He did, I think get even better this year. Um, so I think it's easy to say no in this scheme, but you have to go to one that also uses and utilizes your skill set. Like if Javarius went to, um, I don't know, the Panthers, probably not. Like if Legarius goes to a good defensive-minded team, I think, yeah, he could be the same guy. But again, if he goes to, uh, let's just say, um, I don't know, Atlanta, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota. Like yeah. it, it, it's going to be tough. Um, I think it's a big, big aspect there. Yeah. Minnesota, they, they ask a lot of their corners cause they're just constantly sending pressure from all these different ways. Like they run a very unique defense there. And I think, you know, I'm not sure that we get luxurious need without Trent McDuffie a little bit They're, They are a tandem and what he's provided in the slot has really allowed Snead to play where he's most effective. The Chiefs used to use Snead in the slot and We've seen, um, you know, McDuffie kind of become the elite blitzer out of the slot, whereas that was Snead's role for quite some time, too. So, yeah, to your point, I think I think it's just going to be finding the right spot for him. Um, but the good news is, like, there's, a, you know, a lot of teams can use more than one good corner. And, like, you were talking about the Texans, right? Do they try to go all in and then have this awesome cornerback with uh, cornerback duo with Derek Stingley? Um, but then again, you get into the whole, like, are you really going to help the enemy? I mean, I would not be surprised at all if the Texans are a team that we see in the AFC Championship soon, as as good as CJ Stroud looks. So um, it, it's tough. It, the suitor, it, it's more complicated than people want to know or want to admit. So the other big news of the day, or one of the bigger items, is that MVS has been released by the team, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, saving roughly $12 million in cap room. Not, not chump change. Uh, this is something that personally I've been calling for for a long time. You, you don't want to take glee in anybody getting cut, but he was extremely fairly compensated during his time in Kansas City. You could ar argue overpaid pretty easily. He got two rings. He did his time here. I'm sure he'll land somewhere. Guys who who run uh, 23 miles per hour in the GPS, they don't grow on trees, right? Uh, and theoretically, he was supposed to be the the kind of outside stretch X um, who kind of lifted the lid and and pulled defenses vertical, right? Uh, that didn't really transpire last season, but the Chiefs need that element in their offense. They got way too way too horizontal last year. So, Price, who are some kind of stretch X 
sort of players, MVS-like players in this draft that Chiefs could look at if they wanted a, a cheaper, younger player with higher upside, perhaps? There actually are quite a few names that that fit this role. Um, there, and to your point, you kind of brought up there's there's kind of two different players that they've had to do this recently, right? They've had Tyree Kill, who is the ultimate vertical and horizontal weapon. Um, there's some guys that are obviously never going to come close to Terry Kill, but offer some of the things that he did. And then there are some more like MVS molds. Um, probably a name that a lot of people know is Brian Thomas Jr. out of LSU. He's he's everything that MVS kind of is, except went to a better school and and was more exceptional in college. He's six foot four, 205 pounds. Um, he had 17 touchdowns this year, like led all of college football in touchdowns. But like MVS, he's kind of an average route runner. He doesn't run a full route tree. He tends to round off routes, um, but is great at the catch point as well and has been great with tracking the ball. Um, he is probably be a pipe dream for the Chiefs at 32. I imagine that they will probably have to move up. We've just seen that the NFL, they value speed so much, and that is Thomas's primary weapon. And even with the three guys going up top, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, and Roma Dunze, there's going to be a team that's going to talk themselves into um, Brian Thomas Jr. very easily. Uh, and in fact, I, I, the Bills would be a great fit with Josh Allen's arm, frankly. Um, another guy, this is a personal favorite of mine, is Troy Franklin out of Oregon. Uh, Franklin's 6'2", 178 pounds, so he's a little bit slightly built. Um, but another vertical stretch guy, but he, he does have, again, staying true to the MVS format. Drops have been a little bit of an issue for him, but he is more than just a vertical stretch guy. Thomas is a little bit more limited route tree. Franklin does run the route tree a little bit more, and he has been used. Obviously, the Oregon offense is a ton of screens and bubbles. Uh, Franklin's very good at that as well after the catch. Um, but I, I like both of those guys. Um, they're both bigger um, than you know some of the other options out there. Um, and then you start getting to some guys who aren't quite the vertical stretch, but are that traditional X. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, Adonai Mitchell is his actual name. He goes by 80. Um, he's six foot four, sub 200, but close to 200. He's out of Texas. A lot of people will be familiar with him. Um, was a very successful player at Georgia as far as accolades went. Really went to Texas to get his um, like production up. Um, he's a fluid mover. He has a nice route runner. Um, he plays with size. There are some questions about kind of how he does when he's not drawn up in the play. There's some questionable effort from him at times, but also like, if you watch Quinn Ewers play more than like three or four uh, highlights, you can kind of understand how we get frustrated. Um, and then a name that I kind of like that, that is kind of cheesy. He frankly kind of exists in the same realm that Tank Dell did as far as size goes, Xavier Worthy also from Texas. He's probably going to, has a chance to be one of the fastest players in the draft. Um, he is a, he is probably the first player that the chiefs could bring in since Tyree kill that teams truly could fear him in the horizontal horizontal game. I know McCall Hardman has done that for them. It's been a while since they've had someone to do that. Tony and sky Moore, They've just not filled that role. So, um, Xavier worthy is another name that I like there. And then even you can, you can even go down the board a little bit more, um, Ricky Pearsall is a guy that um, might make some sense out of Florida. Slicky Ricky, as they call him. He's he's probably going to be more of a slot guy, but he does have some dynamic speed. Um, one other name that I will throw out there that, that could make some sense is Xavier Leggett from South Carolina. Um, again, he's been he's, he's kind of a physical freak. He's six foot three, 227 pounds, and was clocked at 23 miles an hour on the GPS tracker this year. Him and Spencer Rattler were a pretty strong connection this year at South Carolina. He, again... He, he kind of gives off DK Metcalf vibes. Um, a lot of people will compare him to that just because of playing in the SEC and everything. But he's the type of guy that seriously could run three or four, um, three or four routes and 
be okay, you know, stretching the field. So um, those, those are some names that I like. Obviously, this wide receiver class, there's right now I have, let me look here. I think I have like 16 guys that I would call a day one or day two pick. Um, so there's, and there, again, there's a lot of flavors out there too. You've got your yak guys, you've got your underneath guys, your slot guys, and then you have the true complete guys. Yeah. Daniel Jeremiah had uh, 12 wide receivers in his top 50. So it's going to be a good year for receivers. And like you said, a lot of different flavors last year, the the class ran pretty small, which is another amazing feat for Brett Veach that he got uh, a wide receiver with some size out of a class where that seemed to not exist. A couple of questions on those guys. Uh, Xavier Worthy, doesn't he sort of have MVS like hands a little bit? I, I'm not someone that that like harps on drops a little bit, but didn't it get pretty bad for him in Texas? Yes. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Uh, Worthy did struggle. Um, not that there's like a different level to drops, but there are some drop like when MVS drops the ball, it's like, well, of course, you're going to drop the ball. You're like fielding a punt, man. Put your arms above your head and catch the ball. Uh, where these drops were a little bit more focus related. But keep in mind, you know, one of the things that the Chiefs have been really good about is particularly this year is seeing what players can be for them versus what they were in college. Rasheed Rice struggled with drops in college. And even in the preseason, we thought that was going to be an issue. And he ended up being one of the most reliable hands on the team. Um, obviously, you know, drops are one of those things that sometimes they stick with a player. Uh, one thing that I will note about Worthy, too, is he was used in a lot of different ways. Um, I have a write-up on him for Fansided's uh, draft website with the first pick. And he can be seen running out of the backfield, running out of the slot, in motion. He's kind of one of those guys like he's a joker, right? He's just kind of all over a wild card all the time. So not that that explains it, but again, Quinn Ewers doesn't necessarily make it easier on his receivers. Um, there's not a lot of just like right in the breadbasket catches. Quick thought on Troy Franklin, too. I've seen different heights for him. I've seen 6'4", 178. I think that's kind of important because we're talking about a BMI here that is a true outlier. Um, I think Todd Pinkston size wise uh, is just about the only successful wide receiver who's been that tall and that skinny. Are you worried about him from a strength and size standpoint, like getting pressed into oblivion or whatever? I think last draft, we, we learned a lot about um, measurements, right? Like there's a lot of thresholds last year for a lot of different players that got taken that ended up not mattering. You know, people worried about Tank Dell and other prospects like that who were who were undersized. Um, one thing I think at the receiver position that matters more than anything is how offenses have advanced to being able to get receivers free releases. I mean, you've got Tyree kills lining up at tight end who gets like a, you know, a, a three second jump start at the line of scrimmage before the ball is ever even snapped there. The ingenuity in offenses really helps some of these guys who are smaller. Yeah. Xavier worthy can't exist in the 1990 NFL, but he can today because of the way the game is played. Um, Troy Franklin. Uh, yeah. The heights, they're always weird. You know, like we thought part of the reason why Rasheed Rice's stock fell is because he was supposed to be, you know, 6'2", 210, and he came in closer to six foot 200. And that's, there's just a big difference in the game that he was playing as far as jumping up vertical. You know, he compared his game to DeAndre Hopkins. Troy Franklin, I think his profile matches a little bit more of what his size is. These guys, they know what thresholds they need to hit. I imagine he's probably going to try to get closer to 180 pounds for the combine, 185. Um but, you know, I, I think ultimately the, the question is, is, can this player separate? I, I have consistently gone back to the fact that Franklin finds separation. He has something that the Chiefs covet, which is speed. Um, and 
I, I think the Chiefs have their yak guy, right? Rasheed Rice excels in that role. And I feel confident in them being able to use some of the other players that are on the roster in that role. So can Franklin, you know, track the ball when it's throwing his way wide open like the Eagles game where MVS didn't? Hopefully. And again, the cost effectiveness of that is is valuable too. Where do you land on Brennan Rice? Uh, Brennan Rice, you know, son of... Uh, Jerry Rice. It would be cool to have Rice Rice baby on the team, have both of them. He's a guy that I think there, there obviously is reason for encouraging signs with him. Um, there, there's some optimism about where he can go as a player. He didn't have the best year on tape this year. Um, I, I think that probably midday two for him. Um, I just, for him, it's going to just be, can he get Lane in the right spot to use his skill set? Um, I could see the Chiefs using a player like Rice. I could also see them saying, like, that's not necessarily the type of player we want. Um, I, I think he could exist in an offense with Rishi Rice and Travis Kelsey. It would just be interesting to see. Um, but to, to the point, obviously, you, you like the bloodlines there. You like the coaching there um, as far as where he is. So it'll be interesting. Obviously, going from Caleb Williams to Patrick Mahomes, it's a pretty good, pretty good uh, succession plan. Yeah, uh, I will say I talked to Brandon Rice on Radio Row, and I loved just the the aura and vibe he brought. Um, very smart kid. Uh, I will say he didn't run the hill. So for those of you old school football fans who know about the hill and Jerry Rice's workout, uh, a little surprising that his son did not know or he knew about the hill, but did not run the hill. Um, but I liked what he brought just based on sometimes sons of phenomenal athletes you can get that entitlement feel. He had the opposite. He was trying to prove that he's different, that he is living up to the name. So I thought that was pretty, um, pretty interesting. Uh, as far as we have a pretty cool thing for everyone who's listening right now, attention, Kansas City Chiefs fans, your team has clinched the Super Bowl 58 title, marking a monumentous victory that deserves to be celebrated in grand style. We're thrilled to offer you an exclusive piece of history, a limited edition Super Bowl 58 champions football crafted with unmatched quality. This collector's item uh, captures the glory of the Chiefs triumph like nothing else, but here's the catch. Only a hundred of these commemorative masterpieces are left, making it a rare gem you do not want to miss. Make it yours today and save $10 instantly with the special code ADDICT at checkout. And there's more. Order through our exclusive link by the end of February, and you'll also be entered into a once-in-a-lifetime draw to win a Champions Football for free. Don't let this opportunity slip through your hands. Celebrate your Chiefs victory with a keepsake that stands the test of time. Order now and keep the spirit of Super Bowl 58 alive forever. We've got to talk about our guy, Chris Jones, and it sounds like things are kind of headed into a positive direction there. That's just kind of the vibe I get. But regardless what happens with Chris, the Chiefs need interior help there on the defensive line. So, Price, who are some prospects that Chiefs could look at at defensive tackle? Well, obviously, the Chiefs have a, a really big need at defensive tackle, interior defensive line in general. They, they truly need probably a nose type of player and a defensive tackle as well. Um, there's kind of – obviously, there's some really good depth at the defensive tackle position in the draft. Nose tackle, not so much. Um, probably the only player that I'd be comfortable with taking at, as a true nose, you know, someone you can line up overhead off the center or shade off his shoulder would be Tavondre Sweat out of Texas. Um, if you watch the college football playoff or follow Texas football, he's a fun player. Um, humans just aren't supposed to move like Tavondre Sweat does at his size. Um, he's probably, probably played close to 370, 380 pounds. I suspect he didn't weigh in at the combine. I don't know if that was because he was trying to make a, a weight loss effort for the combine here or he didn't weigh in at the senior bowl. Uh, but 
I don't, I don't know either that or he's put on weight. Uh, you know, if he's putting on weight, he could be closer to four bills. I suspect he's probably going to weigh in around 340. Um, but humans just don't don't move like him. I mean, they used him on offense, catching passes, kind of Dontari Poe-esque. And him and his running mate, Byron Murphy, who we'll get to in a second, they're probably the best interior defensive line in the NFL. Um, he is more than just a, a put, you know, a gap plugger. He does have pass rush ability. Um, honestly, he might be one of the better nose tackle prospects since like Dexter Lawrence or Vita V. And that, that role really matters in the NFL, especially whenever you consider teams are always looking to play more lighter boxes. Um, if you can have a guy who can plug up the run and you be able to play four defensive linemen and be able to play with more defensive backs on the field, that, that's really valuable. Um, probably a day two name is McKinley Jackson uh, out of Texas A&M, not nearly the prospect of Tavondre Sweat. Um, he, he just needs to get more consistent um, as far as like he has plays where he looks like the best player on the field and there's other plays that he seems to kind of get shut down after uh, he two players or a player gets their hands on him. Um, defensive tackle-wise, there are quite a few more names. This is going to be kind of more trying to replace Chris Jones. Obviously, there's no replacing him, the player, but his role. Um, Byron Murphy, who we mentioned, he's probably going to be the first defensive tackle uh, taken. He's going to put on a show this week at the Combine. Um, he is more of that, you know, gap shooting, penetrating, pass rushing defensive tackle. Um, he's really climbed up boards this year. He is a monster and he leads the, he leads all of college football from interior pressures on the quarterback. So really piled up the stats there. And I'm sure playing next to Tavondre Sweat helped him too, as far as not having to worry about the run as much. Um, a name that might actually be in play for the Chiefs at pick 32 is Jerzon Newton out of Illinois. Again, we, we were talking pre-pod a little bit about how following the draft, it's one of those things that kind of, if you follow it throughout the year, you can get a good explanation of why players are taken where they are taken. Um, Johnny Newton, as they call him, or Jerzon, he was a guy that, at the beginning of this year, even around Christmas time, he'd probably be a top 10 pick. He's out of Illinois. He did have tightrope surgery, I believe. Uh, Dane Brugler tweeted something out last week that he won't be testing at the Combine, but will be doing interviews with team. His tape is awesome. I'm always a huge fan of a guy who's like the guy on a defensive line and still dominates. Uh, George Karloftis was that way at Purdue, right? If you face Purdue, you knew you had to stop George Karloftis and basically nobody else. Johnny Newton's the same way. And that Illinois defense has been producing some really, like, tough dogs here in the NFL, Sidney Brown um, and uh, Devin Witherspoon and Johnny Newton's another chapter in that. I would, I would absolutely love if he fell to the Chiefs at 32. Another name that uh, we just got here in the chat as well is Leonard Taylor out of Miami. Um, again, la this time, probably around like November of last year, 23, he is a guy that a lot of people would have had pegged as a first rounder. There are certain plays in a game where he looks like he's the best player on the field. There are other plays that he looks like he doesn't want to be on the field. Notably, this year, Miami's defense asked him to play more of a true nose role, asked him to put on some weight, did not fit him as a player. Um, I did a film review on him for our other site. He Again, he's a guy who, against the run, it, he's not always the most interested. But when he does get a chance to rush the passer, he's very much like Chris Jones in the sense that he's not always piling up sacks. He's not had a ton of numbers in college football, but his impact on the game Every time it, it, you know, there's so many passes that are thrown away or rushed or hurried. And that's to Taylor's impact. Um, and then some day three named, you know, Leonard Taylor. I think he could be in that second round, third round. He very much seems kind of like a player the Chiefs would like a former five star recruit as well. They love to bet on that type of stuff. And he's young. Another thing the Chiefs love uh, two other names that I like Dwayne Carter out of Duke kind of and, and Braden Fisk out of Florida State. They kind of get 
lumped in together a little bit because they're kind of that same type of player where they're just a well-rounded player. Um, they make impact in the run. They make around the pass rush. They they kind of remind me a little bit of what the Chiefs used to get out of Derek Naughty. Not quite the nose that he is. They're a little bit smaller, but a well-rounded player. Um, Fisk is is a little old for the Chiefs. He's kind of an old-school player. He doesn't play with gloves or pads or anything like that. He just goes out there with his bare hands. Um, he's I think he's 24. He played college ball somewhere else before Florida State. But um, both those guys are names I could see. Dwayne Carter continually makes plays for Duke. If you watch him, you just can't help. Or if you watch any Duke tape, you just can't help but like watch him and see what the impact he makes on the game. Those are all guys I like. And, you know, honestly, kind of relating this back to free agency, it wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs dive into free agency in the interior spot, whether it's the keep Chris Jones or not, and then add on to in the draft. But there's definitely some names here that I think would be available for the Chiefs on day one, two, or three. Man, that that ran the gamut in in terms of Chiefs emotions. You had me thinking about Hungry Pig right with Don Terry Poe. And then you mentioned sometimes maybe you shouldn't draft uh, defensive linemen who play next to other talented defensive linemen. And that conjured Ryan Sims for me uh, because, of course, he famously played next to Julius Peppers, which made his life a lot easier. And he wasn't playing next to Julius Peppers in the pros, so he wasn't the same guy. Um, yeah, I think they need to do something here. And what you're saying about doing something first in free agency for safety so they don't go into the draft knowing they have to fill this position early, you never want to be in that predicament where – you can't take the best player available, right? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for those of us who have ever played around with a mock draft simulator or for those of us that are like me that do one every day, maybe more than one a day that they just don't po post on Twitter because they're a little obsessed. Um, I think that they, you know, everyone loves to just kind of go through and go like wide receiver, offensive tackle, interior defensive line and just hit those positions of need. But that's that's really how a draft falls, right? They don't just hit their top three positions of need. That's not how they want to be. Um, I, I think that the Chiefs will probably try to address these type of things in free agency before. They usually like to try to have a roster that could play a game before they ever, you know, hit the draft. And um, one of these names I, I think could potentially fall to. Um, that's, that's normally how these things go. The nose tackle position, especially, like it's just one that gets undervalued frequently. Um, there's always some risers and fallers. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. But I, I would honestly, I, I could say in some ways that without Chris Jones on the roster next year, interior defensive line is their biggest need, even more than wide receiver or tackle. I see a lot of folks talking about Mike Pinnell, bringing him back in the chat. Um, sure, but I, you're not going to count on Mike Pinnell to have that Super Bowl performance for 17 games, then add on three or four. I think that's pretty far-fetched, even though I'm a noted massive Mike Pinnell supporter going back to his last time, his last tenure in Kansas City. But let's be real now. He's not wanting to go to St. Joe. He's not wanting to go to training camp and OTAs and preseason. You saw what he did in the playoffs. It might be about the same thing. He's proven he does not need to get ready. Dude stays ready. He's a rotational piece, but I, I don't see him uh, being a big part of what the Chiefs do moving forward. They, they, they might bring him back for a postseason run, but I don't think they're counting on Mike Pinnell for a full season. Put him on layaway, right? I also saw a uh, a Duncan Idaho in the chat, which is uh, for us nerds out there a Dune reference. Uh, so the Chiefs tackle play last year. I'm going to say that they they didn't thrive; they just survived. The Chiefs survived kind of in spite of the way they played at offensive tackle. Now, Wanye Morris could develop quicker than we expect. 
Uh, Jawan Taylor could rebound off after a year that I think really got off on the wrong foot, uh, literally with the the uh, false start penalties and Chris Collingsworth kind of making that a spectacle. And, and he, he never really looked like a guy who was comfortable in his own skin last year. So if the Chiefs do decide that they need to make a move there, especially with Donovan Smith potentially not coming back, Bryce, who are some first, second, maybe even third round talents they should be scouting? The Chiefs, when it comes to tackle play, uh, they, they are a team that sticks to their thresholds. Um, they basically took the next tackle off the board last year with Wanya Morris. Tyler Steen was taking the second round by the Eagles, but they had the run on tackles in the first round, and then Wanya Morris was like the next true kind of threshold tackle person. When we talk about thresholds, we're talking about height, weight, speed, and arm length, particularly 33-inch arms. They want longer than that. We're at that. Um, and that's that just kind of goes back to Andy Reid's staple. He's an offensive line guy. Um, the Chiefs have almost consistently, or not the Chiefs, but Andy Reid historically even, has kind of historically taken trench players in the first couple of rounds. Um, also, looking at this big picture, whenever a draft is rich in certain positions, typically those positions get rated in the first round. It would not surprise me to see five or six tackles taken and you know six or seven wide receivers taken in the first round and then four quarterbacks taken. Those are the positions that are rich in this draft, which means the Chiefs are going to have to you know, be flexible. We talked about that as far as best player available. There's a situation that a Cooper DeGene and from Iowa is the corner. He's the best player on the, on the board and people would be like, oh, a corner? Well, you know, I, why would we take a corner here? But he's and a top 10, top 15 player in this draft, in my opinion. Um, as far as tackle goes, there are some guys at the top. Um, all of us would love for Joe Alt to fall to the Chiefs, son of John Alt, former Chiefs legend, but it's just not going to happen. He, he's too talented. He is a prototype tackle, um, left tackle, big, tall, strong. He's just not going to be there. Um, another name is Talisa Fuaga from Oregon State. He also will probably be gone. Then we can start talking possibly, I personally think, Olu Fashano from Penn State. For some reason, his stock is kind of falling. He's still an incredible pass protection left tackle. He has his weaknesses, but I think everyone kind of expected perfection from him this year. So when they didn't get perfection, the, the market kind of fell on him a little bit. After those three guys, that's where we can start talking about the Chiefs zip code. Amarius Mims from Georgia is going to put on a show this week. He is six foot seven. He could play tight end. Um, he is an athletic freak. However, Seven one wingspan, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's a pterodactyl. That's a jumbo um, jet, man. Yeah, he, he is truly one of one as far as the position goes. And the Chiefs would absolutely love to have that type of player. But there are some concerns as well. He's more or less played about 10 games in his college career. They were at right tackle. Um, but a lot of people will say that that tape against Ohio State in the college football playoff last year where he played is among some of the best tackle tape they've seen. Um in college football over the last year. Uh, another name is Tyler Guyton out of Oklahoma. Um, he is a traitsy guy, big, tall, lean, again, meets all those measurables. He's a little bit more raw. Um, obviously, the Chiefs like and have an affinity for Oklahoma offensive linemen. They have two, and they had three whenever they had Orlando Brown on the team. So there's a fit there that makes sense. Um, Kingsley Sua Matia out of BYU. Obviously, there's a little bit of an Andy Reid BYU connection. He played right tackle this year, but has played left tackle in the past. He's got over 1,600 snaps at tackle in college football. Right now, he's a run orientated guy just because of BYU's run heavy offense. But he's another guy that's going to be a great tester, long, makes some sense. Um, there's also JC Latham from Alabama. I don't see him being on the board for Chiefs. He also is probably going to be under that 33 inch mark. So I'd be surprised if the Chiefs were interested in him. 
then we start getting into day two um, or guys who could mix into day two. Um, Patrick Paul out of Houston is a name that I like for them. Big, tall, another, like, honestly, if you look at him on the field, he's a little bit thinner than Orlando Brown, but he looks a lot like Orlando Brown. At the Senior Bowl, he struggled a little bit against bull rush and some stronger pass rushers. Obviously at Houston, the level of competition wasn't quite what it might be in the SEC, but he's another guy I could see them being interested in um, as far as prospects for tackle on day two. And, you know, whenever you get into those day two tackles prospects, you're starting to talk about what are their flaws? Why are they here? Uh, Kansas fans will be familiar with Dominic Pooney. He's another guy that would make some sense for them. And Javon Foster. I think Javon Foster from Missouri. Ironic, we've got two local guys, but Javon Foster is another guy. He's not the most agile. He's not going to be that big tester, but he does have the length. And he's a very smart, cerebral player. Um, he's handled pressure as well in his time there. So I think all those guys could be there. What do the Chiefs ultimately do? I, I think that I could see them being on a player like Sue Matia or Guyton and maybe even using a sec an extra second round pick to move up in the first if they had to, um, to go get that tackle, to protect Patrick Mahomes' blind side. Or they could go more of the conservative route and bring in a guy like Blake Fisher from Notre Dame or Patrick Paul and have him come compete with Wanya Morris. Um, that Christmas Day game, Wanya Morris was so brutal at left tackle, uh, the offense couldn't function. He definitely was not the only person. Also, shout out Wanya Morris for helping the Chiefs win a Super Bowl because they all say that was like the game that changed everything. So maybe he was the the, the miracle worker there. And but, he was dealing with Max Crosby in fairness. And, and you know, that's a hell yes. of an assignment for a rookie, right? Absolutely. But I, I think that they could bring in another day two guy and compete with them. Or, you know, going back to the conversation we've had before, do they just try to hit the easy button with free agency like they did last year with Donovan Smith? Um, frankly, it, it, it's annoying to continually have to keep putting our finger in the dam of left tackle and just kind of it just feels like it's been we've been looking for it long term ever since Eric Fisher left. So we'll be interesting to see what they do. Maybe they make some big splash. But um, yeah, left tackle is a huge need, obviously. And you would like to see more from Juwan Taylor, frankly. Uh, I, I think uh, I've been pretty adamant about Wanye Morris at least being the guy going forward. Um, yeah, there was a lot of ups. There was a lot of downs, but you see that from left tackles. I always say rookie left tackles and rookie edge rushers, defensive linemen in general, your rookie season is not a good indicator of what you're going to be. You want to see the highs, but you're going to see a lot of lows. Um, Andrew Thomas for the Giants, right? He was brutal. I mean, horrendous his rookie season. And then what's he now? One of the best tackles. I'm not saying Juan A. Morris is going to be that, but I think judging a rookie off his lowest points as a left tackle, it's not good business. Um, I think the Chiefs, in my opinion, would probably bring in another guy. I know you're, you're, you're sick of it, and we all are, but whether it's Donovan Smith back on a one-year deal, whether it's Tyron Smith, if he can stay a you know, one-for-eight, one-for-10 million-dollar deal, and then you still have Wanye Morris. If you believe Wanye Morris is the right tackle of the future, well, Jawan Taylor, he's basically on his last year of a really large contract. He can get out of it after this season. So there are some moving parts, obviously. I think of the Chiefs draft, a left tackle, that should tell you that, A, Wanye Morris is not that guy, at least early on, I should say. If the Chiefs draft a left tackle in the first or second round, that should tell you that Wanye Morris is not a left tackle, or two, they think Wanye Morris is the right tackle of the future. That's the way I'm viewing this. Price, what do you think about this kid from Yale? I'm not even going to try to tackle his name because I haven't heard it yet, but he's he has a massive frame, right? Kyron Adam Armagaji, I believe is, is the correct pronunciation. Um, he missed most of this year due to an injury. Um, I'm not I don't know if he's going to be testing this week or not, or he might add a pro day. Um, 
obviously when you get a player from Yale, um, there's some level of competition concerns as far as who all has he really played against. Um, so th- there, there's that to be factored in. He does have that tackle frame, right? The, the long, the lean, um, he's got the long arms as well. There's not a ton of power or in his game. Um, I know Mitch Schwartz was kind of talking about on his Twitter the other day that there was some talk about him as a prospect. He's another guy that I think is in that day two, day three range. I know it's a, a favorite mock for the chiefs as far as like people doing mock drafts go. Um, He's just one of those guys, uh, I, I think this is kind of a, an important demarcation for tackle prospects. How how comfortable are you with them starting week one for the Chiefs on opening night, you know, at left tackle on Patrick Moses' blind side? Kyron does not fall in that in that range of, I feel super comfortable. So maybe it is a one year more to start out the year or Donovan Smith, and then you go to him later. He's definitely a player that you would like as far as you like the upside. Um, and obviously you like the intangibles of, you know, he went to a prestigious school and, and is probably very cerebral as a player, um, but he's another name. And there, there are those guys. The, the thing that I like about this year compared to last year, last year you basically had a tier of players that met those tackle thresholds and then just not much. There are several guys this year who are tackles at, that were tackles in college football, but are going to probably move to guard. Like Troy Fontenew from Washington is one of those players. Um, I didn't talk about uh, – Oh, what's his name? I've got him on my big board. But uh, the, the guy from Jordan Morgan from Arizona. He's another guy that had sub 33 inch arms at the combine or at the senior bowl. I assume he'll probably measure in a little short this time, too. I think he could move in as well. But there's guys on day two and day three who do have the length, who do have those thresholds. And, you know, there there's elements of the game that need to be improved. But a lot of people tell you Andy Heck is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. So you feel good about, again, kind of buying that buying that market. I think we cheese fans, when we're looking at offensive line prospects and, and doing the mocks and everything, we're always thinking who has 35 inch arms that we can get in the second or third round. Like they'll magically uh, work out. There's a reason uh, players like that have been discounted. And uh, I'm kind of getting after hearing you talk about him, Lucas Niang vibes. So Sterling, you have any other thoughts here? No, man. I'm, I think it's perfect. Uh, offensive lines, an interesting one where, um, the Chiefs have a type, as we've mentioned, they're going to go and try and get a pass protector more than a run first type of dude. That's just the way they have typically operated in the past. Athleticism is going to be paramount, which, again, that's why I think some folks might have some questions about Wanye Morris. Um, you know, even Donovan Smith was a little bit of a question mark with his age and his descending athleticism. I, I always think it's tough when you go offensive line in the first round, because I don't think you reap the rewards year one. I just don't think, and people are going to be upset and, and you're in a win now window. I, I think an offensive line, offensive line ta- or an offensive tackle in round one uh, might not be the smartest move. Yeah. I don't want to shit on FAU because I think there's a still, there's still a pretty good chance he'll be a decent player, maybe even a very good player. But it would suck for two years in a row not to get much out of that first round uh, pick when you're trying to three beat. Re- we really need someone who can step in and contribute. Uh, it, it's a hard thing to to kind of parse out and decide what you want to do because do you want to pick the eighth best receiver? Well, what's the difference between the eighth best receiver and the 13th best receiver? We know that second round hit rates for receivers are about as good as first round uh, hit rates. So the position to, to go with there is, is going to be a difficult decision for them because at 32, there's going to be a smorgasbord of options 
and you just kind of get the feeling they'll probably go with the best player. You'd like to think as a fan that they're going to be all in on a three-peat, but that's just not how the Chiefs operate. They're thinking long-term. They're thinking we have Patrick Mahomes till he's 40 years old. We, we're we're going to do the smartest thing for the long-term health of our franchise. And uh, long-term health of the franchise leads us to this final question for the group. Clark Hunt in this new NFLPA survey got an F minus, lowest of all the owners. And then in terms of, of cash over cap spending over the past five years, the Chiefs have been 24th. So they really don't believe in pushing uh, cap flexibility. There's no salary cap on things like facilities, recovery science, all these other things. So I have to ask you guys, is Clark Hunt cheap? I don't want to say cheap. I'm not going to go there, but I do think the training uh, aspect of this is beyond inexcusable. Like not having enough trainers for the players where they feel like they can't go and get just your your usual, um, just, just pre-treatment. Yeah, you don't have a major injury, but you're trying to get ready for the week and they feel like they don't have enough trainers. That's absurd. We're talking about the product. We're talking about the million dollar product that you invest in and they feel like they don't have the right training staff to help them. That is absolutely absurd. If you want to complain about travel accommodations, okay. If you want to complain about some of the meals, fine. I think that's even a little bit inexcusable as well because you're talking about the players um, trying to stay in shape, what they put in their bodies. Okay. When it comes to the training staff itself, and they feel like they don't get treated the correct way, that to me is absurd. There is no excuse for that. One thing, one thing that I'll bring up, and th- this gets into a bigger discussion about results over process. Like, is Patrick Mahomes just the only thing keeping the Chiefs from being, you know, this historically bad franchise for most of it? It might be true, right? Patrick Mahomes is just that good. But like the bad feedback about the trainers. Is that because of the, the level of care they're getting, the amount of trainers that they're getting, or is it because Andy Reid and his training staff, they don't let you sit out for every little limp and, and you know ache and pain. And like historically, the Chiefs have been one of the most healthy franchises over the last couple of years. They do not lose a lot of players to season-ending injuries. How many teams this year did the Chiefs play in the playoffs that one of the biggest storylines going into it was just how dinged up they were. And the Chiefs have just been able to avoid that. Part of the reason that is, is because they have one of the younger teams in the NFL because of how they are built through the draft. But some of that has to be chalked up to Rick Burkholder and the, and the job that they do. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything, but one thing I would also bring up is we don't, we don't know what level of participation this gets from the players. I don't know if every single it's I'll tell you right now. It's seventeen hundred players in the NFL. So if you break that down, it's you're, you're I think the the guesstimate was around sixty to eighty percent of the players from each team. And so my thought process is, you probably aren't telling your boss because we always hear great things. I'm not trying to even. This is just me uh, extrapolating here on a thought here. You never hear anything bad about the Hunts. You never hear anything bad. You don't hear him even being called cheap. You hear that about like the Bengals owners, right? He's not traditionally viewed in that mindset. But yet here we are back to back years and to an extent because it's anonymous, right? You're not going to tell your boss to his face, the guy that pays you that you think he's ass. Like you're not going to tell him that you think that you're, you're that, that he does not value you. You're not going to tell your boss that to his face. So this might be one of those situations where, okay. And I know the thought process last year was, okay. Yeah. It's just one year guys who are upset that they're not getting the job back. 
Uh, no, they they interview and take polls of enough players that one Mahomes isn't going to make it one way, and one a dude who's disgruntled and is leaving is not going to move. Lashawn McCoy or whatever. Exactly. This is going to be in the middle. So this to me does come with a um, with some truth to it. There's a big enough sample size. So my other concern is when you have this problem with the facilities and the reputation of the owner. We're trying to make this the number one free agent destination in the league. And when you also have an owner who's traditionally not willing to push the flexibility of the salary cap, like a lot of owners are, it's just going to be harder for them to attract guys to come here when they have these different obstacles that they have to get over. And, and it seems to be the issue with the locker room is not their their locker room at Arrowhead. I believe it's the locker room at it's their at their training sure. facility, which they use a lot more than the than the regular locker room at the stadium. And Correct. there was a promise that I don't think has been fulfilled is the issue that this was supposed to be revamped a couple of years ago. It hasn't been. I think the players are upset about that. Um, and I, I think we can have some nuance about Clark Hunt. We can say when it comes to football decisions and hiring great football player, he, he doesn't really have an equal in the NFL. He's great there. He's involved. He's interested. He's invested. But he doesn't let his ego hurt the team. So you have to give him credit on that front. But I, at this point, I think you have to say he's a little frugal. And it's disappointing because you would like the Chiefs to have an owner who would be putting their, their, uh, their foot to the gas right now when you have a once-in-a-hundred-year quarterback in your building. Yeah, and I, I think you can get it, again get into a bigger discussion here about like what are, what are we talking about, right? We're talking about a billionaire who like you know has basically gotten here by having the the correct dad, um, which you know shout out to him, good work if you can get it. But his primary occupation is owning sports teams. That's the primary occupation of that team. They don't have just this steady revenue stream like some of the other teams do whose ownerships have, you know, been like, you know, big invested companies that they rise to power. Um, so yeah, he basically runs the company, the team by owning the team and funneling that money back into it. You can sit here and hope all day that billionaires are going to start sharing more of their money with the world. Um, but that, that just hasn't went very well historically over time. So it, it does stink. And I, I do think that it is kind of reality, the cash spending. The, the one thing I will say about the cash spending is, is like when it really matters, they have done right by the players that need to like they did. They did not cheap on Patrick Mahomes contract and they've re upped him and they they've found contracts to make him, you know, in theory, the highest played player in, in the NFL or the highest paid player in North American sports, et cetera. So while I do think that it is a concern and you certainly don't love it as far as the optics and, you know, how are things going to look post Patrick Mahomes? I do think that they have done a good enough job of making sure that they take care of the things that matter. And I hope that I hope that crosses over to what Chris Jones is, right? Like Chris Jones is a player that has definitely earned his reputation here in Kansas City. And I get, you know, the the DiCaprio rule that you guys were talking about, but it, it's at some point, there's some guys that, that their name deserves to be up there in the ring of honor and they deserve to retire as a chief. And, and Travis Kelsey has been one of those players too. So um, I, I do think it's a concern, but I don't think it's something that is franchise altering. Yeah, and you're also seeing guys like Steven Ross in Miami, David Tepper in Carolina, new owners who are just throwing money around because they're desperate to make a slash, a splash and get competitive. And I, I just don't think that's, again, the Chiefs model. They're, they're in this for longevity. And uh, that's just kind of the way they see things. I think the Chris Jones situation, uh, that will be very telling 
about whether the Chiefs uh, are willing to exceed certain thresholds for non-quarterbacks. Because uh, the Tyree Kill thing, I think there's a lot of different stuff wrapped up in Tyree Kill that kind of makes him a unique situation. Plus, there's a surplus of receivers. So I, I, I could see them kind of saying, well, this makes sense and all of us agreeing. If they do it with Chris Jones again and, and can't get a deal done, at that point, we kind of have a trend maybe. Any closing thoughts, Sterling? No, man. I just, again, I, I find it the most egregious part is the training staff. You got to take care of your players. I wonder if this is a reason why, I, again, we've been told time and time again, we've been shown time and time again, players typically value the money over chasing a ring. Whether we think, oh, get a chance to win a ring, while that may mean a lot to us, and while that may mean a lot to some players, the majority, it seems like they chase the money over the ring. But I wonder how much uh, this type of how much of this rings to the players in free agency? How much see the the practice facility and say, yeah, okay, yeah, the the, the stadium's great, but that's only ten games a year. That's that that's the, the the eight home games and maybe two in the playoffs, right? But the practice facility where you're at every single day, almost you're you're there hundred plus times a year, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to play an impact. Like I, I do think there is some underlying things that if they could address, I wonder how that would affect free agency. Again, we may never know completely, but I do think it's, again, the trainer aspect of this to me is inexcusable. And a lot of this business is optics, right? When you're trying to build a culture and bring new people in and just being ranked 31 out of 32 for the defending Super Bowl champs is just not a good luck. Well, that's all we've got for you guys today. Props to our chat. Uh, to our chat, as always, we appreciate you. Please mash the like and subscribe buttons if you haven't. AudioPod listeners on Spotify and Apple, please consider giving us a five-star review. All that helps AA grow even faster. Join us next Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Central right here on the Arrowhead Attic channel. Until then, enjoy basking in the glory of being the defending champs and uh Let's get ready to keep talking draft. Go Chiefs.